Over the past year, I've been on a healing adventure. I've spent the past 12 months recovering from brain fog, pain, and chronic fatigue. Like any good adventure story, there have been highs and lows, losses and gains, and an incredible amount of personal growth and lessons learned. This journey has made me a better health practitioner and a more empathetic coach. To add more meaning to my experience, I wanted to create something that would help others to increase their energy, clear their mind, and restore their health. I created the Brain Fog Bible. The Brain Fog Bible is a 47-page guide that covers what I call the low-hanging fruit. It explores the most important areas to be assessed and addressed if you want more from life, but your brain and your body are holding you back. You can grab a copy at brainfogbible.com forward slash download. That's brainfogbible.com forward slash download. I believe one of the most important things that we can do is give ourselves the gift of truly nourishing the soul through time spent in self-inquiry, moments that still the mind and practices that light us up and allow us to reconnect to the child within. Move, Breathe, Create is a platform that celebrates soul nourishment. Move your body to get out of your head. Breathe to give yourself mental clarity and calm. Create without expectation to fuel your inspiration and delight your senses. Come and join us over at movebreathecreate.com and use the code kombucha for your first month free. I'm looking forward to seeing you inside the community. From a young age, I was passionate about nutrition and helping people with their health. When I started practicing in the field, I realized that physiology and psychology are intimately intertwined. Some of my clients just needed to know what to do to feel better. And many of my clients knew what they should be doing, they just weren't doing it. Underneath it all, unconscious conditioning was getting in the way of their success. This drove me to uplevel my skill set and coach my clients to remove some of their mental roadblocks and reconnect with the wisdom of the body. I learned about the importance of embodiment and harnessing the power of emotions to get more of what you want from life. I started offering intensive one-to-one coaching packages and I launched my Grounded Goddess group program. I also wanted to create a free offering to help women understand the power of the mind, body, and emotions. I created the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. The Grounded Goddess Blueprint is a 43-page guide that will help you reconnect with what you want from life and teach you how to build your roadmap to create it. It will help you understand why you often find yourself going round in circles and engaging with self-sabotage. If you feel stuck, overwhelmed, or frustrated with lack of results, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. If you want clarity, understanding, and more success, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. Just go over to groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint and grab your copy. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint. Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. 
This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kombucha and Color. It's me on my own today, but I have a male guest on the show. Um, his name is Brendan Turner, and you're going to love him because he has a, well, it's not a South African accent, but it's almost a South African accent. He has a Zimbabwean accent, so he's he's keeping the Antipodean trend going, um, and he is the owner of Raw Motion Fitness here in the UK. And so I met Brendan actually through one of my coaching clients, uh, Kate. Kate is Brendan's partner. And a while ago when I was running my third round of Grounded Goddess, I think, Brendan, you reached out to me because I had already worked with Kate in the past, but she was going through a hard time and you thought, well, maybe this is something that she should really do. And you were actually encouraging her to join the program uh, and work with me again. Um, And so at that point in time, we connected and I always had massive respect for you for that because I know that you're in the health and fitness industry. You do a lot of coaching work with your clients. You know, I think sometimes we really want to help the people that we love, but we're almost too close in a lot of circumstances to to be able to really give them the help that we need because there's too much else going on in that relationship. So I've always really respected you for that connection that we made um, and your you know, pushing Kate into um, working with me again. And we've kind of just stayed on each other's radar since then. And then um, I did a shout out on social media asking for people who would like to to come on the show. And something I didn't know about you previously was that you've been on a huge health transformation journey yourself. And that was the journey where in, in which you lost 10 stone. And losing 10 stone I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast will acknowledge that that is by no means a small feat. And it's not necessarily just about discipline or just about dieting or just about exercise. It's really about a huge inner transformation. So I'm really excited actually just to hear more about this journey for you to share more about all the lessons along the way. I'm sure there were loads of them and to leave our listeners with a little bit of inspiration um, at the end. So welcome to the show, Brendan. Thank you for having me. It's uh, really good to be on. And uh, yeah, I thank you for those kind words about um, when I reached out about Kate. I think it's something I learned quite early on in the uh, working in the industry is that you can't always solve everyone's issues. You can't always fix everyone, um, even though you might want to. And there are people out there who can help more than you can help, um, whether it's in a relationship or not. So that's something I've always tried to stick to. So why don't you begin at the beginning? (laughs) I have a feeling that you've got a lot to say. So I'm really just going to hand this over to you. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about you know, obviously you, as I, as I sit here recording and I'm looking at you on camera, you're fit, you're lean, you're healthy looking. It's very, very difficult to imagine you were someone who was once 10 stone heavier than what you are now. So where did this all begin? Uh, well, I mean, I grew up in Zimbabwe um, and I think pretty much 
I, I had a really bad kidney infection when I was about six years old. And I kind of think in my mind that that started my issues um, with weight gain because I lost a lot of weight. I got really, really skinny as a, as a kid. And um, I think it must have gone on for a few weeks or, or maybe even a month or so. And I was, you know, off school for a while. And when I kind of came back from it, I think, you know, I ended up putting on quite a few kilograms um, and snacking on a lot of things. And I think it was born out of that sort of lack in that sense that I, I hadn't eaten much and, you know, I was a bit frail and weak. And, and I sort of kind of put weight back on, but too much. And then it, that kind of kick-started a fluctuation throughout my life. And I lost quite a bit of weight leading up to my transition to high school. I wanted to play cricket for Zimbabwe. That was my main goal. I was very, very heavily into my cricket. I was the captain of my team in my junior school. And I just wanted to get out there and play sport. But I was carrying extra weight. And so the one way of me getting fit and healthy um, and being on top of the game, as it were, was to, to try and get my diet under control. And, you know, I was exercising loads, but I just wasn't eating right. Um, so my dad kind of incentivized me at that time. And he said, look, you've got all these dreams and aspirations. I'm going to help you get there. I'm going to buy you these cool oak, Oakley sunglasses and we're going to, we're going to keep those in a cupboard and every kilogram of weight that you lose will weigh you every week and every, every bit of weight you lose, you get to wear them for a day. And then uh, at the end of it, once you've reached your goal, you can have them. And that was cool. And it was really, really powerful. So, um, but do you remember in South Africa how popular those Oakley sunglasses were at one point yeah, in time? Exactly. So, like, you know, you have all, you had all the cricket stars in South Africa wearing them. You had all the celebrities and, you know, everyone who, you know, I used to go to cricket matches and I used to see guys wearing them. I was like, oh, I really want a pair. So it was a big incentive and it got me to my goal. And I was super fit. I got uh, into the school that I wanted to for high school and started playing cricket there. But unfortunately, got really badly bullied at that new school. And I didn't probably didn't do myself any favors when I was there <laughs> with my focus um, and determination to be the best. You know, it, was, it, it didn't make me any friends. And so I went through about two years where I really struggled. I got badly bullied and uh, ended up having to leave the school. And I think in the process, I kind of found comfort in food at that stage and it was quite uh sort of you know my my break times would be like well i'll go and queue at the tuck shop because i'm not going to get bothered here and then i'll go and eat you know and then by the time that's all done break time's over i don't have to be socially engaging with people so i'll just go back to class and so that kind of kick-started a few things i think and then with the turmoil in zimbabwe we ended up leaving and going to botswana and i kind of kept my weight on for the most of my time in botswana um i lost complete passion for cricket um didn't want to play anymore but picked up my golf clubs and started playing golf and thought hey i've got a bit of a talent here when we moved to botswana i got coaching from a, a really good coach and I thought, well, I'm into this. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm going to give this a pop and see if I can go to college in the States. And my sister was in university here. I was still quite, quite heavy. Um, and then I moved over to the UK 
and thought, well, I'll do a gap year. I'll come and work, play a bit of golf, get some experience, get myself over to America at some point. And I think it was sort of, I was probably 18. I stepped on the plane with like 700 pounds in my pocket and no idea how the real world <laughs> works. So I feel uh, like I have a very, very similar experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, continue. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think also in, in that kind of time, my, I think my parents were kind of a little bit like in the dark about things that I don't think they really realized, you know, when you move to a different country, you can't just land and start work and find a job and, but I think you just sort of forget those sorts of things. And it was about building a network of people up. So, yeah, I ended up playing a bit of golf. And then in that year, I think it was 2005, um, I kind of just got a bit despondent. I didn't get any offers from any universities. I put on quite a bit of weight and ended up just kind of slipping into a bit of a, a sad time, really, because I was like, oh, I'm not going to achieve my dream. What, what good am I? And then I think my dad gave me a pep talk one day and was like, look, you just get yourself healthy and you'll, you'll be okay. And so I, I came back. I actually flew to Botswana for a little while, came back to the UK in like 2006, landed a good job and started working, going to the gym, getting regular exercise, managing my diet. And I got into a really sort of uber-focused, if I'm fit and healthy, I will achieve my goal of getting to America, I will achieve becoming a professional golfer because health is wealth, right? And I, I smashed it. I got there. I got to the States and I played um, pretty much the worst golf of my life in, the, in America. I was really out of my depth. And it was one of those weird things where, you know, like when you achieve a goal and you don't shift the goalposts, you can end up losing sight of what you're there for. And you stagnate. Yeah. So it's sort of on the, on the phases of change, if you will. You go through all the phases of change that there are and then you slip back into like a relapse. And so I started eating poor, um, eating poor choices. I started, you know, smoking a bit of weed and smoking cigarettes and getting into bad habits over there. And then the coach turned around one day and said, look, Brendan, there's no space for you on our team anymore. So you can come back, but you've got, to, you've got to earn your spot back if you want to be on the team. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. That was like 2008. And then I flew back home in the summertime and my dad's business just got hit by the uh, recession. And so it was like I'd gone from being in, in the States playing golf, doing what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And then I ended up in a place where I was in Botswana. I had no prospects and I couldn't go back to America really. So that was a really tough pill to swallow. And in the end, my sister kind of came to the party and, and we ended up moving in together in London um, and sharing a flat. So I kind of up sticks from Botswana again, <laughs> landed in, in London and at that point I had, I didn't, I just had my belongings really. And, and so I was probably what, 21, 22 at the time. And I didn't have anything. I, I ended up working for a company called at your service, which is like a hospitality company. And I remember one of the jobs they did, they asked us to go to Windsor castle to do like a, a big um, event. And I was there, I did a 12 hour shift and I earned 50 quid for the day 
Um, and that was what, 2008, 2009? Yeah. And then I had to get home and I got a taxi. I had to get a taxi because it was nothing. By the time we got back to London from Windsor, there was nothing running. So I had to get a taxi and the taxi cost, cost me like 40 quid to get home. <laughs> that is just soul destroying, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had this sort of shift. I was like, wow. Okay. So I've lost my, my dream of golf. I'm now living in London. It's cold. It's raining. And I, I managed to land a, a job in a pub. I just went knocking on doors. Basically I went round to every pub I could with my CV and said, look, I've been trained by this company for silver service and uh, will you employ me? And I got a call back from a manager of a pub in Greenwich and they were like, yeah, come, come and have a trial shift. Um, so I kind of bounced around the two jobs for a while and then worked in that pub. I ended up working there full time, got manager role and, and promoted. And um, I ended up dating the... Um, the manager of the pub who employed me for a while and, and we ended up moving in together and we only lived five minutes walking from uh, work. So I kind of put the golf clubs away and started smoking quite heavily and worked in an environment where I was able to snack on whatever I wanted, you know, ask the chef to prepare me a meal. It's no problem. And I just sort of ballooned a bit up until like 2012 and then I kind of I the, the company I was working for sunk quite a lot of money into the Michael Jackson tour and they bought some venues and they put quite a lot of money together for that and um, obviously Michael sadly died and we were kind of as a company the company was left with this huge they were hugely exposed financially and it caused massive cash flow problems. So we ended up not getting paid and it was, it was a nightmare. Um, and I couldn't really leave. I felt very trapped in that environment. And I felt very, like, very much like the victim the whole time. And I ended up quitting the job that I was doing. And I just said, I'm, I'm tired of this game now. I'm, I'm, I'm fed up. I want to become a photographer. <laughs> so I took all my savings and, and a, bit, a bit of money and, and went and bought a big fancy camera. And then I said to myself, well, I've, I've worked so hard for the last few years. You know, it's, it's 2011, 12 at that time. And I've worked hard since I got here in 2008. And, you know, I deserve this. I deserve a break. So I took like three months off and I just lived off the money I'd had. And I thought, you know, I'll use this time to educate myself and to become a better photographer. And I just ended up sitting at home ordering dominoes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it got pretty bad. And my girlfriend at the time was, to be fair to her, she was quite supportive to a point. And then I think she just got fed up with me just coming home and I'm just sat there getting fatter and fatter. And, uh, and then I kind of got sick uh, after that. I, I ended up in hospital twice. So that was quite a wake up. And the first time was um, with appendicitis. And I, I truly do believe that that was down to my my whole body just going what are you doing to us you mm. know i quite i'd gone from being like 75 kilograms to being up by 100 kilos at that stage and it was just getting worse and then i came out of the appendicitis and the surgery and and they'd um, they wouldn't let me out of the hospital um and and i was like you've got to let me out at that stage my girlfriend had 
came into the hospital to visit me and said, I've quit my job today. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, we're living together. You didn't even talk to me about it. And so she left her job. So we were kind of both unemployed, really. And I was in this um, hospital bed thinking, I don't know where we go from here, really. And then they gave me blood pressure medication to, to bring my blood pressure back down because it wasn't, it was too high for me to leave the bed. And then they said, okay, you can, you can now leave. It's normalized a bit, but keep going on these medications and then go see your doctor again in a few weeks. And I never did that. <laughs> and then I started working for a friend of mine who, who called me and he said, look, I've got this, this gig coming up with, um, at the BFI in London. I need your help to run this event and come in and, and do this. And I ended up just collecting glasses all night because that was the only job that they had and I did that and they managed to, I managed to get a, a full-time job with them in the restaurant and I was kind of back to where I started you know when I landed off the plane in America so I'd gone from being a manager to having this sort of good salary to having nothing again and emotionally I was probably a bit fed up with things and I'd gained all this weight um, in fact, so much so that the guy who employed me was like, is that you, <laughs> Brendan, you're wearing a fat Ouch. suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then that became a standard running joke. So they gave me all the, the shift patterns that involved the most leg work. And his excuse was, well, we need to make you sweat. You know, we need to get you moving. Um, and I, I just remember coming home from work, just having, I, I bought a special, um, you know, those buckets that you put in your sink. And I put one of those in my room on the floor and I would come home from work and I would just sit down and put my feet in the bucket because my feet were just so painful. Retrospect, you know, or hindsight, should I say, I, I know that that was because I, uh, I was carrying so much weight and my bones in my feet were just being crushed. <laughs> wow. And, you know, you're on your feet all day, you're serving food, you're on the tube, you're walking, you're, you know, and I'd gone from doing nothing for four months to doing that. And sort of, I, I kind of got through maybe a, a few months at the restaurant. And then um, I remember one night just feeling really tired. And I felt like someone was kind of stabbing me in the, in the side of my body here, um, on my left side. And I was like, this is really weird. And it, it, it's that sort of feeling of, I know I'm really ill now. Something's mm. really wrong here. And I, the manager was like, came over to me. He's like, Brendan, we've got to, we've got to do this extra stock take um, tonight. Would you mind helping me? You know, it'd really help. And, and it would, I'd be able to put in a good word for you. And I was sat there like, right. So I've got a choice now. I feel really rough. And I was going to ask if I could go home early or I could earn some respect and get a better, um, potentially get a promotion out of this and so I thought right screw it I'm just gonna stick with this and and, and I did the stock take and I, I got a taxi home in the end from work and I just went straight to bed um, and I went to the doctor the next day and she was like oh you've got shingles and I was like what <laughs> what what are you talking about and she's like oh yeah this is really bad like you need to take this and do this and um anyway i ended up off work again <laughs> strangely enough and when i kind of came out of the shingles i remember taking the the tube back to work and some uh, it was an old man sitting on the tube in the priority seat and he he got up and he said mate you need this seat more than i do you look like you need it 
and I sat down and just clammy and gray and sweaty and just feeling really rough. And that was a point where like, I think my girlfriend at the time was just like, dude, what the hell are you doing to yourself? You know? And then on from there, I, I kept smoking, kept eating poorly. Um, and had a couple of instances, uh, where I ended up. Uh, so I ended up in hospital again, um, being tested because I woke up one, one afternoon after taking a nap and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't get any air into my lungs and I, I ended up choking myself in my sleep, I guess. So I guess people would call that like um, sleep apnea, something like that. But I, you know, I never actually went to a sleep clinic to get officially diagnosed, but that happened twice. And on the second time I ended up passing out a little bit and throwing up in the end to wait to kind of get myself out of this. And it's amazing what your body does when it's at its limit, right? Yeah. Um, and it's how it, it, it's always communicating to you. But I think when there's so much else going on in life, you get very disconnected from, from that communication. And subconsciously, I knew the whole time that this always, was, yeah. you know, I knew that there was a problem. You don't get people saying, Hey, big man, you know, when you, when you meet them for the first time, like that, I used to hate that. I used to hate it when someone said, Oh, hello, big man, do you need some help? Or, you know, it just felt wrong. And, you know, I remember shopping was, you know, shopping aisles were so much smaller and I still haven't quite gotten around that idea of personal space. Like, you know, even when I'm walking, I still feel like I need to kind of move out the way for people. And, and I think for people who are struggling with weight, I think that is a huge subconscious factor um, it hits you really hard and you just don't know it. Mm. Um, and there so can I'll... be a lot of anxiety. Something I've been working through lately is this idea of anxiety being present when there's something that's there. And as you said, subconsciously, we know that you always kind of knew, but we're not, con- we're consciously avoiding looking at it because it's, it's painful. And once you look at it, you're going to have to do something about it. And, and there starts, you know, I want to say an even bigger problem, but it's not a problem. It's just like something that you're going to have to go through, which isn't necessarily comfortable. So there's always kind of this low level of anxiety there while you're not looking at the thing that you really need to be looking at. Yeah. I don't know if that rings true for you. A hundred percent. And the worst part, I think, or the hardest part is the people around you that love you. They see you going through these battles and they know that if they could click their fingers and, and change you like that, they, they could and they would and they would give you, you know, and but you you put up these barricades because you don't want to take that in and look at yourself and, and say, right, well, what's at the cause of this? What's the, the root cause of this issue? You know, mine was the failure of my, my aspirations, really, if you think about it. I wasn't able to achieve being a cricketer. I wasn't able to achieve being a golfer. Even though I could have made a plan, I could have made a resourceful plan if I thought about it but instead i kind of let the the negative take over Um, so what was the 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 turning point for you i mean not always but often there's like a rock bottom experience which kind of jolts people into action so what was there a single point that stands out or was it a gradual process i think for me it was more gradual so you know i i kind of i got through the shingles i went back to work. I, I really hated my job. And it wasn't for the fact that I, was, I wasn't I was surrounded by bad people. I, I was just not in the place that I wanted to be in. And 
I, I did manage to get somewhere. And I remember my manager, the guy who helped me, and I still thank him for this today. I know it might be against the regulations of health and safety or what's it, um, employment law. But he turned to me one day and he said, look, you, you're a supervisor. You've worked your way up. You've had your, you, you've taken, you know, some really big risks. We can't promote you any higher unless you sort yourself out. You look horrendous. You know, you, you, he's, <laughs> he was just being honest and he was like, mm. you look fat and horrible. So until we, until we see that change, nothing's going to happen. And then that was sort of, it was funny on April Fool's Day, my girlfriend at the time wrote me a letter because I don't think she could say anything. And she just said, it's over. And I always, I just thought it was a bit of a joke at first. And then I had to move out. And so in that process, I kind of had a, a friend in um, Woolwich in London. He said, I'll come stay with me. And I kind of spiraled a bit further. But I think the, the sort of thing there was I woke up one morning and, you know, there were pizza boxes everywhere. And I was in this room that was really smoky. And, you know, I would go to the toilet in the middle of the night and have a cigarette before I went back to sleep. And I'd often have a can of Coke next to the bed just to sip on in the night if I was thirsty. And, you know, there, there was all those sorts of things that were a habit in my life. And, um, and I think I got to a certain point where the ashtray was full next to my bed. I was lying there one evening. It was a hot summer night and I had a can of Coke, a box of cigarettes, my Zippo lighter. And I was just like, I want to sleep. I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. I, I can't think of doing anything with my day off tomorrow because I'm so tired. My legs hurt. My, my body aches. And I used to just sit there at night thinking, how do people do it? How do people have the energy to do stuff on their day off? And that was it. That was the only thing I could think of. I was like, man, I see all these people when I'm going to work and they've got all this like energy. Where do they get it from? And so um, can I interrupt you at that point in time? Had you not connected all your lifestyle behaviors to how you were feeling? I was getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting there. But I think ultimately it was, so I'd had, you know, I'd had loads of conversations with different people and, you know, I think there was someone just banging at the door the whole time. It didn't matter who it was. There was someone just saying, come on, wake up. And then I was trying to fall asleep and I, you know, I was wheezing away. And every breath I took, I, you know, you, you, you're trying to hit, and I don't know if you've ever had any lung problems or infections or anything like that, but when your chest is wheezing away, it's impossible to fall into any kind of sleep, right? And I, I just sat there and I was like, do you know what? I, I just got to stop smoking. If I can stop smoking, I'll feel better um, because I'll sleep. And if I sleep more, I'll have more energy. And if I sleep more, and then I'll have more energy and then I'll go to work and I'll feel better and I won't have this habit looming over me because, you know, my chest is an issue. And I'd had x-rays on my lungs and all that. And, you know, the, the doctor had said, you really need to stop smoking. But it's, again, it's that whole, yeah, I could do, but I'm kind of enjoying this process of self-destruction right now. Um, so what do you think? I think this is so interesting, like just to look at the psychology of all of this, but what do you think were you, were you getting from staying as you were? I think I was just beating myself up and enjoying it. And I think there's a certain level of that sort of, I don't know, masochism or something in, in that um, because it's easy to be a victim. 
You know, mm. it's easy for you to say, feel sorry for me. There's a really interesting link um, that I can send you. It's the poor me complex, I think. We'll put it in the show notes. Relation. Yeah, definitely. And it's sort of like there's different characters that exist in, in life and you have relationships with people based on, you know, what you you kind of create um, for yourself as this image of yourself. So so to some people, your your relationship could be um, you're both very strong characters in front of each other, but then other people, you can be the poor me, you know, I've got this problem. Oh, you've got that problem. Let's share our problems, shall we? Mm, and then you um, connect and you, you build relationships from being that person. Exactly. And I think, I think that was ultimately, you know, I'd, I'd fallen into a trap of creating those relationships around me. Um, everyone was in a struggle. Everyone was feeling oppressed. Everyone was doing something they didn't really want to do. And, and it felt I, safe probably. To yeah, be, to be around that crowd. Exactly. And and I think, you know, and that's not to say anything about any of those people. They're lovely people. You know, I, I, I love working with a lot of the people that I worked with, but it wasn't where I felt like I should be. And equally, I think, you know, you, you end up in this situation where someone's knocking at the door, some, some message is trying to get through. I remember my sister had sent me so much stuff. You know, she's like, um, you know, have you heard of Jason Vale? The name is familiar, but I wouldn't be able to tell you what he does. And he, he does all these like, you know, um, juice. Fresh ah, the juice guy. <laughs> juice guy. And um, she'd sent me this discount code for an app that he had, which was quit smoking. And I was like, what? And it said quit smoking in two hours. And so I downloaded the app and I used the discount code and I paid for this thing. And I just sat on the corner of my bed and I was listening to him talk and it was NLP, you know, very, very basic, simple framing of the mind. And he was just saying, you know, grab a cigarette, smoke. Um, and by the end of this audio, I'm going to ask you to have a cigarette. And as I finish my last word, you'll finish your last drag. And I was like, well, whatever, dude. And he said, and then you'll put the cigarette out and you won't want to smoke again. And I was like, okay, cool. This is funny. This, this will be hilarious. I'm like, what have I got to lose? And I did, I put the cigarette out and that was it. Um, I woke up the next morning and normally it would be cigarette, shower, cigarette, leave the house, cigarette on the way to work, get on the train, cigarette, walking from the train to work, you know, so there'd be like four or five cigarettes before I actually started anything. Um, and that was a very reward based mechanism. It was like, well, you know, I just need to get to this point in the day and I'll smoke. Um, yeah. And I woke up and that was it. I hadn't had a cigarette. I didn't need it. Didn't want it. And then later in the month, I think it was, uh, it was June or July in 2013. And then I think it was August, September time. I went away to Scotland for 10 days it was the first kind of holiday that I'd had since going to America really. <laughs> And my sister was celebrating her thirtieth, and it was a walking holiday, so there was lots of hills, and, and <laughs> I was there slowing everybody down. And I think people just got really fed up with me, but they were too polite to say. But that moment that you asked about, uh, there was a big house, it was like twenty rooms um, in this sort of mansion place, and there were only about thirteen of us. So I chose the room right at the top, and I remember we were all sharing food. And it was the first time in maybe five years that I'd had to share food with people and, and eat in a, in a sort of community of people. And I was just sat there thinking, 
where's the seconds? You know, <laughs> I want more. Where's the food? And so I ended up buying my own food, like crisps and chocolates and stuff, and just hiding it in my room. And then after we'd had dinner and stuff, I would go upstairs and watch TV on my computer and snack. And I was looking for that comfort, right? And it was so difficult because I was just like, I think I've got a problem now. I think I've really got a problem. And it took so long to sink in, right? But it was that that really made me think, well, how is it that I'm in a house with 12 other people? They've got all the energy in the world to climb all these mountains. They're not even that hungry at the end of it. And I'm the one sitting in my room suffering and snacking on crisps. And I think, you know, that was it. The week after that, I, I got myself a, a juicer and I started making fresh juices and I went shopping for fresh vegetables and I threw away all the pizza boxes. And I said to myself, if I can stick to a plan of healthy eating for seven days and take out the sugar and take out the, the sort of Cokes and diet Cokes. And I, I just went full on. I just went no coffee, no sugar, no diet Coke, no Coke, no refined foods of any nature, just fresh juice and fruit and, and fresh fish. And I went from shopping in one section of the shop to shopping in the fresh aisles. And, and that was sort of like, I did it. I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm really going to give it a go. And I said, you know, you've got to go zero to a hundred percent. Right. I'll talk about that in a sec, but yeah. And I think that's where it all happened. And it just sort of the weight kind of then fell off me. It was, it was a very quick weight loss, probably could have managed it better. And I always say to people, if you've got a scale of one or zero to a hundred percent, um, a hundred percent is like the most perfect diet. You know, you're the most, you're biohacking yourself and you're doing this and you're doing that and you're, you're eating this and you're fresh. And then 0% is like back where I was. Um, most people that want change or most people that, that want to move their life in one direction, they need to be sitting between 80 and 100 to see anything happen, right? And that's how I try and say it to people. I don't say, oh, think about the 80-20. I think if you can think 100% is the pinnacle of success with your diet and your, your food and your exercise, because it crosses all three of the, the mindset, the food and, and the exercise, 80 to 100% is progress. Anything below 80% is not. But that 80% line, that's the moment of honesty and complete honesty with yourself. So I always think, well, strive for 100 go for a hundred. Why not? You know, and, and why can't you be all invested in it? Um, you've been all invested in destroying your health, Brendan, for <laughs> how many years you can at least give yourself seven days to try and fix it. And that sort of started me off and here I am. <laughs> so was it really as easy as you say? Because I think both you and myself, we've, we've worked with people um, in the past and even currently who, who want to lose weight and there can be this very, people are usually there is a point of pain which is the catalyst for change and i think you you described that moment in scotland when you're up in your room eating your snacks watching your tv and that was a pain point for you because i think it almost sounds like your your, your social environment changed on that weekend and it showed you some things that you couldn't see before because of the environment you were almost nestled in before and so you had this moment of pain and it, it, the way that you describe it is almost like a switch flipped in, in your brain and you went from zero to a hundred as you've described. 
but some people get that switch that flips, they make that change. But in a few weeks time, they start going to like, okay, maybe 70, maybe 60, maybe 50. And then they're kind of sliding back on the scale. So was there any of that for you? And if not, what do you think helped you to stay focused? Because I think you had that focus already from being an athlete. So did you start to access those old parts of you that had that determination? I think that's the key into, you know, the, the key is the consistency. It's not the zero to a hundred, right? And and I think we both know that from working with people. It's it's not about the one day of a hundred percent. It's about multiple days of 90% and sticking to that, that concepts. I didn't really slip if I'm being honest, because what I said to myself was, if I've spent the last seven years smoking or six years smoking, drinking, um, going out and, and eating, I mean, there was one night I ate 20 McDonald's cheeseburgers, um, wow. the, the dollar menu. It was pretty impressive, I have to say. Um, <laughs> but if I've spent all this time in my mind, I have to double up the time being at 100% to correct the damage that I've done to my cells and, and to my body. And I think it, it goes with movement, it goes with mindset, and it goes with your diet. If everything works synergistically and you're putting in the good food, your, your food then nourishes your cells and your cells feel like, hey, we can, we can go and fix these problems. You know, especially I know you've done fasting and you know the, the benefits of, of letting your stomach, stomach rest and for your body to do what it should be doing and regenerate. I think that process for me was, was sort of became crystal clear. It was like, well, if you put garbage in, you get garbage out, right? And I've put a lot of garbage into my body. So what do I have to do? in order for me to make this sustainable. And I think in, in many respects, the change into, I started blogging. So I, I started writing about my story with Raw Merchant Fitness. And that was, that was kind of keeping me accountable. I journaled as well. So it was like, I needed to understand why I got there, which I think maybe separates me from, from a lot of people which I can, you know, Kate gives me grief about. <laughs> so she, she says, oh, yeah, but, you know, you know, it's, it's easy for you. And I'm like, well, it is, but it isn't because I've kind of consciously made that decision to say, right, well, I will never let myself go back that far. And I think because I was at such an extreme, it's easier for me to maintain. Mm. You know yeah. what I mean? I hear you because I think um, the way that I teach behavior change is that we often get to this um, point of complacency where we're, we're not in so much pain anymore, but we're also not 100% where we want to be. And it's at that point that people can slip back and they go into self-sabotage. But it's almost like you had an imprint of the pain of being at that very, very low point that was like, hell no, <laughs> I'm not going, I'm, I'm not going to get complacent, essentially. And that really comes from keeping your eyes on the prize, which I think something that you said at the very beginning of the podcast about you were bullied because you had gone to the school with all your determination. Um, and I think you used another word, which I can't remember. And I think that's what it takes is it takes this um it takes someone who knows what they want and can stay focused on the goal when you take your eyes off the prize and you start looking elsewhere that's where your behaviors can slip backwards and i think 
even though at a point in time in your life you lost that, you already had it wired a little bit into your nervous system from your history as an athlete. Yeah, and I think I don't see how how reflection can be a, a bad thing. I, I do see that people need to stay in the moment. And I think the whole point of golf and being a professional or, or, try, or aiming to be a professional golfer, what, what I failed at, and I reflected on this in journaling and writing, it wasn't being a successful golfer because everyone can do something that they're passionate about, that they've got a talent for. What separates me from Tiger Woods is the fact that he managed to put himself in an environment where he could maintain his calm, he could be in the present, he could focus on what needed to be done, he could use the past to fuel him and aim for the goal of completing the whole or winning the tournament or becoming the best in the world. You know, and I think for me, it was like, well, I'm in this moment, I'm enjoying being healthy. I really want to be healthier. I want to be, you know, I'd love to be able to do, I think it was uh, the salmon ladder with uh, Stephen Amell. From, Please explain that because I'm uh, clueless. I'm I, sure other people will ladder, be too. Uh, if you look up Stephen Amell's salmon ladder, he does the, the TV show Arrow. And I used to watch Arrow as a TV show. It's like a comic book thing. And he did the salmon ladder. It's like a pull-up, but then you take the bar off and you clip it up and you clip uh, I think they have that in Ninja Warrior, don't they? Exactly, yeah. yeah. I was like, I, I'm, that's, I want to do that. I want to be able to do that. I want to look like that. And, you know, I know that realistically my body's changed in ways that I can't, I can't even comprehend because of what I've done to it. I'm not going to look like Stephen Amell, but it's not going to stop me from trying. It's not going to stop me from pursuing what I want. Equally, that's kind of the, the goal. And then in the present, I'm like, well, I've got a very happy, healthy life relationship. I'm enjoying helping people every day do what I did. And equally, the fuel that keeps me burning is, is what happened in the past. And I let that sink in. And I often relive those moments. And I chuckle to myself. I'm like, yeah, you know, or when I see someone smoking and I sniff it every now and then I get like this sick feeling like, oh God, that's horrible. And then every now and then I, f I smell a cigarette and I'm like, wow, I could really kill for one right now. Those moments keep you grounded. And so it sounds like from what you're saying, it's like this um, continuously setting goals so that there's always something to look forward to, to work towards. But at the same time, just loving and appreciating, as you say, the present moment. And I guess one of the things that we say to my clients is like self-worth is not about when you have achieved X self-worth is about what's happening now. So it's getting into this habit of looking at all the evidence for your worthiness that, that already exists. Like you said, like you listed all the different things that are, that you you're grateful for and happy with right now in this moment, but then never staying humble, I guess, like never losing sight of, of where you came from. Mm, you know, we all want, to shift things and and by no means am I advocating that someone should just keep setting goals and keep getting their hopes up but understand that the goals can fuel you the goals can can keep you inspired but also you know just enjoy the process of of achieving it because it should be fun it should be enjoyable I didn't want to lose weight um, because I knew the pain of of having to put it back on again yeah I didn't want to get to that point I'd had so much failure in my life I was like, I don't want to fail at losing weight and getting healthy because I know I've failed at it twice before. And 
I, I just really don't want to fail at this. I'm so scared of it. And actually, you can't fail if you never stop. You know what I mean? You, you mm. know, keep yourself healthy. Keep yourself striving forwards. What, what benefit is there to, to seeking things that destroy your health anyway? So in that way, I am probably evangelical in some <laughs> respects about things. But, you know, it took me two or three years before I had my first bit of ice cream again. And that wasn't because I was restricting myself. It was out of choice. I chose to do that because I knew the choice was empowering me, whereas the restriction was negatively impacting me. Mm-hmm. So if I'd said the whole time, well, I can't have chocolate cake, I can't have ice cream, then what good is that doing for my mentality? It's, it's keeping me trapped in that restrictive, in that trapped. I don't like being trapped. You know what I mean? And whether your readers or listeners, sorry, would benefit from this. I have a recurring dream. And, and I, I think, you know, in some ways, my recurring dream is that I'm trapped in the pub where I used to work. Wow. And, you know, I can tell you stories about that place. And I don't know where you stand on the whole paranormal thing, but there was some really weird stuff that happened there. And our I, listeners I, love paranormal, so go for it. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah. So, I mean, we had loads of instances where, you know, you'd lock up at night and you'd come back and the lights were all on and the chairs were all over the place and, you know, the tills would pop open randomly or you'd hear noises down in the basement uh, in the cellar and you'd be like, I think the worst one was the phones kept ringing from different rooms that didn't have phones in them anymore. There was like no, no line in there and just some really weird stuff that happened. And so in my dreams that I have currently, I feel trapped in this pub. But at the same time, I feel like I need to go and explore the rooms that I can't get into. And it's this sort of weird thing. And it's maybe it's my mind that's talking to me and saying, you know, you don't want to trap yourself again. Don't feel trapped by your health and, and, and stuff. Equally, I could be being haunted by something. <laughs> A bit of both, maybe. But I, I actually just want to jump on that about exploring the different rooms. Is, this is just so interesting for me to, to kind of look at from an outsider looking in. But one of the things I teach my clients is we look at all the different parts of ourselves. And I think you mentioned like the victim, the victim part. And what was the the poor me syndrome or, and how we have these different parts and how we relate to people from different places. And I don't know if you noticed, but what was really interesting is when you talked about going into hospital to have your appendix out, you you said, your body said to you, what are you doing to us? And, and it was not like, what are you doing to me? It was us. And I was like, Oh, who's us? Like there's, there's more than one here. And it's, that's just a very interesting observation is that we, we do have all of these different parts. Um, and we have the victim, like you talked about. I also talk with my clients about the saboteurs, the, the part of us that will engage in the self-sabotaging behavior and we choose who we get to feed. And so it's like this idea of being in this room where you're stuck, you're just stuck in one part, which was perhaps the old you was stuck in that victim part and all the other rooms is like access to the athlete, access to the coach, access to the empowered part. And there's obviously infinite amounts of different parts. And when you can access all these different parts of yourself, then you get to choose who's the best person for the job today. 
if the goal is to not eat the ice cream or to choose not to eat the ice cream, who's making that decision? So that's just a really interesting like reflection or interpretation of your dream. You, you can take it or leave it, but I thought it was interesting just to share. No, I think it's interesting. And I, I have a, uh, or I've worked with a lady for a long time who, who is a psychologist. And we, we talked about it not so long ago, actually. I said, I keep having this dream. And she said, go into the room, go into the room. Next time you have the dream, make the decision to go into the room. And I said, okay, give it a go. And I haven't had the dream since. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're either never going to have it again or it's waiting for the right time. Possibly, possibly. Um, but, you know, I think, I think, and it's easy for people to maybe listen to my story and go, oh, well, it's just so easy. It seems so seamless. And that's indeed the very nature of a story. I mean, there isn't a day that goes by where I don't look at myself in the mirror and take up my shirt and look at my stomach and, and go, look at all that loose skin, you know, ah, you know, and come on. And is this changing? Am I going fat? You know, am I getting fat again? And I, I say it to Kate sometimes and I'm like, have I put on weight? Do I look like I'm, you know, do I look and, you know, and I do keep myself accountable. I, I do weigh in and check my measurements and, and all that stuff. I, I do that, but I'm also, you know, although on the face of it, I, I can seem like very relaxed and calm and, and sort of, you know, resolute. I still struggle with the concept of if I do eat something and make a poor choice, am I going to get, you know, put on that weight again? And I have to kind of check myself in those moments and go, right, well, yeah, okay, your loose skin looks rubbish, but it could be worse. You know, you could be, could be dead. I could be in hospital. What's clear is if, if I were in my health situation that I was in at this stage, I'd probably be on a ventilator during this time. So there are those nice things to think about off the back of these negative loose skin images and stuff. And I'd love that you shared that as well, because I think they could, obviously the majority of our listeners are female. Um, we probably have some men as well. And there can be this tendency for a woman to look at a man and go, oh, it's so much easier for men than it is for women. And they think that men don't necessarily have all the, the psychological overthinking that you just described. And I think a lot of women can probably resonate with what you've just said. And it's really important to understand that this is it's universal, right? To, to carry these wounds from the past. Yes, I think so. And I think nowadays, especially with some of the culture, the celebrity shift that we've got, I think men are way more conscious of their bodies equally. I can't imagine what my process would have been like if I were a woman and, and how I would have to deal with the umpteen images that exist every day of, of women and the expectation of what women should look like, you know, this whole culture that we have. And I do feel like in that respect, it is harder for women because you guys have got seemingly a lot more pressure. You know, guys, we wake up in the morning and I like put some stuff in my hair and wash my face. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty much all I got. <laughs> Whereas, whereas um, ladies, you guys have to deal with the whole concept of, you know, beauty products and, and which is best and who's doing what and what's popular. And, and so that is an insecurity thing that I haven't had to deal with. But at the same time, everyone has a battle that they're fighting and, and 
it's respect of that i think that i try and show show my clients and show people is like you know it doesn't matter if you need to lose five kilograms 10 kilograms 20 kilograms the anxiety around what you're trying to do it, it exists and you've got to you've got to rise up and face it yeah is there anything else that you wanted to share about your story or any messages or insights? I think the only thing I would say is that if you break things into, I always try and say, look, look at life or look at yourself like a, like a pyramid. And from being in the industry um, for a shorter time than most PTs and coaches, it's very clear that, the NHS and the government and, you know, all these different organizations will want you to focus to split that pyramid into 50, 50 and say, eat less, train more Hmm. and just focus on those two elements of your life and everything will be cool. And I'd like to say to people, think of your pyramid in a structure of 40, 40, 20. If you do a 40% really good focus on your mindset, 40% really good focus on your nutrition, and the 20% can be made up of good exercise that helps to nourish both other parts of the pyramid, then you know, you're, you're on a way to winning because you've got to think of yourself as a whole, your mindset, your, fi- your food and your, your diet and your exercise, they all complement each other and they make this puzzle that is you. And, and so never give up on, on what you're looking to achieve and be mindful of those three things. I love that. And so Brendan, just finish off by telling us a little bit more about like what you offer and how can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out for some help, more help and support? Yeah. So I do, um, coaching. I do online coaching, obviously at the moment, no one's really doing face to face. No I one's, do no one's doing in-person stuff. <laughs> I do face-to-face coaching. Um, I have a, a Facebook group and sort of like an online membership where I do three coaching sessions a week and that's at rawmotionfitness.com. Uh, you can find out about that. It's called team membership. So people can become a part of my team. They can join in on the three coaching sessions every week. And we got one this evening at, at 5.15. So every Monday, Tuesday and Thursday, so that's the baseline. And then I, I have a movement program that I call the foundations of movement where I, I sort of break down how to move better and more safely. And that's sort of launched in time with everyone jumping onto Strava at the moment because they're at home and they're in isolation or lockdown and they want to get fit and healthy. Um, so it's quite interesting how that's worked. So yeah, I help people on those two fronts online. Um, but if people want to know a bit more about me, they can just head to rawmotionfitness.com and, and have a look at, at things. Welcome to the Facebook group and the team and, and things like that as well. It's, it's a community of good people there. And I just want to try and spread a positive message. Um, we'll put all those links in the show notes. And so if anybody wants to jump on any of those offers, then just feel free to look at the show notes or just head on over to rawmotionfitness.com, I guess. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for being here, Brendan. I've loved hearing your story. I also just love, you know, the Zimbabwean accent. So it's been such a pleasure listening to you. And yeah, thank you so much. I'm sure that a lot of people will get a lot from some of the things that you've shared. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me and best of luck in this crazy time, people. (laughs) We'll see you all next time. Bye.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Color. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week.